You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Matt. I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I've got Tim, Dom, Cassandra, and Jim on to discuss the topic of unlocking success, the power of team culture. To get things started, I'll go around the room and get everyone to introduce themselves. Tim, I'll get you to kick things off and get us started. Thanks. Yes, I'm Tim Wilson. I'm head of product engineering at Entain. You may know our brands, Ladbrokes and, and Neds. Um, I've been at Entain for just under two years. I joined as Entain was going through a massive growth period. And you know, something I'm passionate about is is growing and building teams and forming teams. And so, you know, that was something that was critical to to that period of growth. Um something about me personally i've been uh you know my background is software engineering i've been a developer in the past for going back 20 years or so absolutely love coding and um other than that i'm here in brisbane i have uh, two kids uh, and a dash hound and along with my wife and uh i've got my hands full that's for sure so uh yeah great to be here awesome thanks for that tim and dom i'll pass to you next Cool. So I'm Dom. Uh, I'm a senior engineering manager at NIB, uh, working on the conversational AI space. So I'm responsible for all the voice bots, chat bots, contact center, uh, speech analytics for the entire group. Uh, you may have heard of NIB as health insurance primarily, uh, also travel insurance, and more recent times we've been into NDIS claim management through M&A. Uh, so like this day to day, I run a number of squads around sort of software engineering, application support, data machine learning analysts. And then I have a counterpart uh, who is a product manager, Liz, and we uh, with product design and business analysts. So together we're like a full end to end product team for the group. So we're responsible for all of our products sort of all in one, which is nice. Uh, and I guess like the passion I have is in my current role is definitely customer service automation. So I, I, we're reimagining, I guess, how we do customer service across the board, you know, you know, whether it's how we interact with our members, both through like our human agents and AI, and it's uh, you know, critically important we get the balance right, and obviously AI is all the rage in, in recent times, but um, uh, making sure that uh, you know, when it matters that you, know, you can get uh, a human touch, uh, and so I think that's been critically important, and I've been lucky enough in my current role sort of to be given the latitude to sort of, I, I guess, uh, look at all the processes that we currently have, and question you know why are they even there can they be improved or removed which is my favorite removing processes and making it easier for people to get uh, what they've done quicker and easier um and i'm in newcastle so nice and sunny newcastle uh in between sydney and well not brisbane but uh yeah <laughs> nice and nice and chill awesome thanks that tom uh cassandra we'll go to you next Hello, I'm Cassandra Frinovich. I'm an engineering manager at Domain. I get to lead teams of engineers that guide property seekers home through our app and our website. Um, I'm embracing opportunity to work remotely from the beautiful southern highlands of New South Wales, but that's also alongside two children, three cats and a dog, so there's a bit of an art to that. Um, got a bit of a diverse background actually coming from technology but also arts education and coaching and this is really driven I've got a huge passion for lifelong learning which is very essential in the technology space Um, and part of that is also creating that inclusive workplace that sparks innovation where everyone feels they can continue to grow um, through their career. Awesome thanks Cassandra and Jim. Thanks, Matt. Um, so I'm Jim Cook. I'm the manager for digital innovation at the University of Sydney. Uh, I'm based here in Sydney. Um, 
my role uh, for the past sort of 11 years has been to drag some of our colleagues kicking and screaming into the light of emergent technology and to follow some of them because I'm lucky enough to be in an environment where uh, universities are the crucible of innovation. Uh, there is a lot of stuff being done in universities that is far ahead of what you might expect in other spaces. And then some of the systems and some of the processes that allude to what Dom said before are archaic and need to be broken down and, and replaced in some of those contexts. So we work a lot in the artificial intelligence space. We work a lot in mixed reality and things like that for learning and teaching. Um, uh, as for my home life, uh, I just have a cat. Um, live here with my partner in Sydney and we look after our cat with our beautiful city views 10 minutes from the university. Nice. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everyone, for the intro. I'm feeling left out. I don't, I don't have an animal myself or a pet. Damn. Uh, but no, we'll get straight into it. Thanks, everyone, for the intros. Um, so the first question, which we'll get into, is from Tim, being what does a successful team culture look like to you? So if you were to give us some context on that one and get it started. Yeah, it's kind of the obvious one I thought to kick off with, but um, before we start talking about it, I thought it might be good to define what we all think it looks like and how we recognize it and, and you know, what we see in that. So for, for me, um, you know, it's very wide, uh, but things like an honest, free, constructive exchange of ideas between uh, team members, I think is critical. That trust and respect is critical. Um, and a inclusive and supporting environment is critical because, you know, what I'm thinking about when I think of um, culture is just how well do people work together and how do the best ideas win? How do you make sure the best ideas come up and how do you maximize the value and productivity of everyone there because they're all working really effectively together and learning from one another and um, exchanging ideas really well. So that's that's how I could go, kick it off. But um, yeah, keen to hear how everyone else sort of thinks what they think about what they think about a successful team culture. Thanks, that Tim. Dom, ready next. Yeah, so but I, I think I think honestly, probably the, the for me is like the number one component of team culture um, because uh, without it, like it, it just creates a whole bunch of division and sort of back, you know, backdoor whispering and that sort of stuff. And so, um, you know, you, you know, so you walk into a place that doesn't have proper team culture and, and good honesty and that sort of stuff. Um, it's just deceptive. It doesn't feel right. It, just tell from the vibe like people are you know you'll see it sit in the meeting and you know, people will say something that doesn't sort of stack up and they'll just everyone will sit there silently and they won't step and go oh i don't think that's the right thing or i think there's a better way of solving that problem and as you said it's that um uh yeah the best idea always wins the best you know and that's and that's how it should always be and so um yeah i think that's uh that's me number one is definitely honesty and so that's why i always look for why i work with with people and teams uh, and anybody i engage with and always being transparent always being honest and so um, yeah, I think that's above all else is honesty. So, thanks, Tom. Cedra? Um, I think just building on that, so if you have that, that fundamental trust underneath there, then people are bringing their whole self to work, so they're not doing that extra job of thinking through, am I looking like I don't know this, what can I do? And they're just really focusing on how can I really bring all of my ideas and experiences to the table to create these new ideas and experiences. And part of that is like you were saying, Dom, you know, there's that constructive challenge in there around, it's not just, yes, it's like, yes, and what about this and building from there. Um, but I think underlying that, so to really take it forward, a successful team culture for me is one where everyone at each level 
can really see their line of impact going all the way through. So no matter where they're at, they're like, I see the goal, I see our alignment to it, and I can see how what I'm doing now is contributing to it. So I think that's a really good foundation to have that um, strong team culture. Thanks, Sandra. And Jim? Yeah, I'd love to build on what Dom and Cassandra have said there because uh, there's kind of a thing that's appearing there for me that... Um, uh, potentially we haven't really touched on but it's a it's a combination of you know trust and culture which is that transparency um and the key thing around uh my team needs to know what i know and uh there is a downward stream of information and sometimes you can't share everything but they have to be able to understand that uh their impacts are making a difference in that way and to dom's point as well it's a lot often it's a lot easier to see a toxic culture than a good culture toxic cultures are very um visible right now you go into the meeting there's a person in there the loudest voice wins rather than the best idea um those sorts of things so i think the absence of those is something you can look for in the concept of a good culture and also um uh, I, I mean i'm going to throw the university hat on here for a second but um the pedagogy of a way the way a team learns um is really visible in the team culture and we have this pedagogy um that's proving very very good with our with our graduates that's called productive failure um, and what that means is when you get it wrong, what did you learn from it? And teams that learn from making mistakes, in my experience, have an incredibly strong partnership amongst the team that is indicative of a good culture. Thanks for that, Tim. Not really. A- anything else to add there? Any- anyone want to add in? I think that was good, good to kick us no, off there. Uh, I just would like to agree, like the no blame culture is also critically, critically important. So yeah, totally agree with that. And and also, Cassandra, your point around um, everyone knowing how they contribute to the the wider goal, I think, is is another thing I, I think is also a fantastic point as well. Thanks, yeah, I, it's funny that like uh, I've been in, uh, I've worked with some organisations where their staff don't necessarily know the organisational strategy at the lower levels, uh, right? So you, 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 your company or your organisation has a strategy and like everyone down the chain needs to know where they fit into that in some way. And that's the job of management to show them how they fit into that. Awesome. Well, look, we'll wrap up that one uh, there, but look, great start obviously gives us a foundation to, to kind of move on to the next questions as well, which is, Dom, your question being, well, once you've established a successful team culture, how do you keep it going? Is it solely the leader's responsibility or a team effort? If you want to give us context for that. Yeah, so I suppose... Um, so I guess my current role, I started just as myself and one other engineer and a designer and the team's now grown to about 18, 19 people. And so, uh, yeah, obviously it was pretty easy at the start because there's only two of us, it's a very small group and we're all just pushing together. And as you grow and grow, you get sort of layers and, you know, and that, that dissemination of information, those goals, that sort of stuff. Um, but then how do you sort of maintain that culture? Because when I first started, it was like a startup. Basically, we were a team of fixed-term contractors basically going, you've got six months to basically prove that you're worth us paying you. And so, um, you know, it's a very strong culture there. But, you know, we've somehow managed to maintain that four and a half years in. Um, and so, you know, I'm interested to understand, is it a, you know, is it a leader's responsibility or a team effort? I don't want to prejudice any sort of thoughts around that. You know, I also have opinions on it, but, um, yeah, sort of. I'm keen to hear what everyone else thinks uh, on that sort of area. Perfect. Thanks, Tom. Cassandra, I'll get you to kick things off of this. Um, it's a good question because it is that thing. It's not a set and forget is the first thing that comes to mind. I think it's about having, do you have embedded these continuous feedback cycles? 
Um, have you intentionally looked at crafting it to start with? And is it a shared thing or was it just one person's idea at a point in time? So I think there's two parts. Yes, there's a leader's responsibility. I think primarily maybe crafting that. What's that environment? What are the behaviours we recognise? What are we signalling to people across in the, um, in the teams and setting up that space? But from the it's the team is what actually really drives the culture because it's all the relationships and interactions amongst there. So if everyone has that responsibility to work on their own growth and development, and part of that is looking at how do we create this environment where we're all going to be able to bring up our self-work and achieve these goals. So yeah, I think leaders set up that environment, lead by example, um, and also what you recognize. And then conversely, yeah, how does the team actually continuously feed into that Thanks, Sandra. Hey, Jim. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I really think it's the leader's tone, uh, leader's job to set the tone. Um, so you set the tone in, in maintaining that, and you provide the guardrails and the guidance and the and the support mechanisms uh, for any you know things that need to be escalated or things that need to be managed in that way. Uh, but it's also your job to manage uh, the team's job to manage upwards, and your job to manage downwards. So you have to help them adapt to change. If there's processes that come along that may have an impact on culture, or if there's decisions coming down that are being mandated that are going to impact culture, you have to be participatory in that activity, um, and you have to ensure that there's peer accountability. And you're not the leader in that context of culture; you're a peer in the context of culture. You're part of that team, right? So, really, peer accountability, having people help each other manage those. Uh, um, yeah, there's this. Every business has, uh, you know, jumps and valleys they have to go through, uh, and you really have to be on the ride with your with your team in that context. Uh, I also think that there's it's good to have formal mechanisms of uh, continuous assessment and improvement and regular check ins with as many of your reports as you can, uh, in order to understand how they're tracking in that culture. I spend most of my week. Uh, checking in with my team essentially to ensure that we're on track with their culture. It, it does impact my ability to get other work done, uh, but I think it's more important to keep the team uh, on track and the team comfortable with where we're going than it is for uh, me to necessarily finish all of my stuff because then if I have a strong team, I can delegate some of that work in the future. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Tim? Yeah, no, I, I agree with what everyone's um, been saying. I think also culture is a very organic uh, thing as well. Like, And so I think as a leader you've got to be able to observe and and foster where you see something new coming along that is really good culture uh, and i think as a leader you've also got to know when to step in and um uh, call out something in real time when you see it goes against culture and that can be i think difficult for particularly new leaders who may not want that conflict or may not want to seem like um the the killjoy or the bad guy but Sometimes you've got to, um, you know, basically, yeah, but that's not what we do here, and um, and call it out and, and and course correct. But you know, hopefully, more often it's it's you know fostering and encouraging, you know, something organic that has that's popped up that's that's really positive uh, that you want to encourage and maybe see spread to other parts of the organisation. Is there anything you wanted to to add in there as well, Don? Yourself? Yeah, no, I, I think I think it definitely. When everyone said and i think uh i think to, like to jim's point as well like um that's something i one thing i, I do and i don't cancel or move is in my one-on-ones like you know hella high water i will have that one-on-one that week uh, i will find time i will make time um and i think you know that's to to show the value because i do value I, every person who reports into me are super critical to 
how we operate. If they're not there, like, oh boy, is it an absolute nightmare to try and manage that sort of stuff. And so um, I value them so much. And so they deserve my time. They always deserve my time. And so, you know, that's one of my ways of showing that they are important to not only myself, but to the team and the wider, you know, mission that we're working towards and that sort of stuff. And so uh, I think, you know, they're the little things, at least from a leader's perspective. And then for their reports, they do the same as well. They always make sure that they have their one-on-ones with their team. And so it flows down. And that's the same with my man, my boss. He always makes sure he, he has his one-on-one with me. He'll, you know, sometimes it'll be, you know, five thirty on the way home while we're both driving home or something like that, but we'll still have it and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's, there's those little tiny things that I think really do make all the difference. And they attention to detail, like, oh, you know, how was your weekend? You know, you, know, you just had, you know, your puppy just had you know, got D6. Yeah, you know, how did that go? Like, there's little bits and pieces of all too. You know, some people uh, in their time and in their life and they're going through a hard time supporting them, that sort of thing as well. I think it, you know, it cuts both ways. So then sometimes when you have those difficult tasks or tasks that you need to give them, there's like, oh, yeah, no problem. And that culture, it's a give and take. And you get that real, you know, sort of, uh, we're all in this together always. Anything else to to finish us off with this one? I just wanted to raise a point on uh, on Tim's point there around um, uh, uh, when when we see you know something toxic or something against our culture that we're trying to in- interact with. It's also important for us as people leaders to not be precious about our opinions on what good culture is and be willing to accept when our presumptions might be wrong. Um, uh, you know, I've often seen like, oh, this is the way my management started down this pipeline. Uh, but then I see something that might actually be really beneficial that is maybe a little counter to our culture and maybe we need to think about how we're going to in- adapt and bring that in for what we do as a team. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's a long time. I'm an old man now. It's a long time since I was precious about my feelings, uh, but I'm very precious about my team's feelings. Thanks, Jim. Any Anything else to add there? Otherwise, we'll move on. Awesome. Moving on to, to the third question now. Oh, no. Jump. Jump. Do you have something then? No. Sorry, it must have been a glitch on my end. I just heard someone jump in. <laughs> if not, we'll we'll move on to the third, which is Cassandra. Your question being: Is it possible for a remote or virtual team to develop a strong culture? And if so, what are the challenges and solutions? So, if you want to start us off and just give your thoughts around this question, Cassandra. Yeah, I guess it's something that every leader has looked at especially within this last two years or so i know i joined domain and then i picked up my laptop and the very next day it was the full lockdown so i had just met all the team first thought was i hope no one had COVID in that team session where we all joined together they came in for me um luckily that was fine um but the second thought was okay um what next what might we do? So there was definitely a bit of a process into how like the mindset of approaching that. And I'm just really keen to hear thoughts as well, because once I got past that thought of like, hold on everything I've done and known about how to look at building team culture, being very present and, and doing things in the space, especially I did a lot of visualization work and things such as that, like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. But then when I really rethought it, going from it, what were the possibilities? How can we really rethink these? And because I'm really passionate about having an inclusive team, it was also looking at the fact that within my own family and many great technologists I've worked with, being neurodivergent as well, some of the limitations and things that that nine to five in the office everyday culture meant in terms of limiting their ability to feel really positive and productive in the teams. I thought, hold on, is there opportunity here? Um, but that said, certainly not without its challenges. So um, keen to share thoughts on what I might have tried afterwards, but I'd love to hear 
from yourselves in terms of your experience. Thanks for that, Andrew. Jim, I'll go to you first. Sure. I mean, my team, uh, my fibre direct reports are all remote. Uh, so uh, I'm running a team that's almost entirely run remotely, although one of them goes into the office and then joins the remote meetings from the office because that's what he likes to do. Um, what we wanted to be doing at Sydney is supporting the people, the way people believe they'll be able to get the most out of their day. Um, and whether that's through uh, a large technology supplement, right? So, you know, all this migration to things like Teams and Zoom and stuff like that, but also in the context of more collaborative tool chains like Miro and stuff like that in the uh, in the brainstorming sessions, right? Cassandra, I can see you nodding along there. Um, the, uh, the, the, the real thing is around how do you help people to achieve their best in that way and are there processes and things we were able to put in place. So uh, I'd, I'd been running eight years on campus with a lab uh, and a lot, a lot of kit and a lot of stuff uh, that we were, you know, working on all the time. We had all the GPU video cards and virtual reality headsets and stuff in the uh, in the lab. And then, you know, come along March, we're uh, we're at home. Um, but really, all that stuff does exist in uh, in the virtual space as well. Um, I found that one of the things we did do is we implemented a retro with our team. Uh, so that the um, team leads, we can all get together at the end of the day and just make sure that no one's going into their work-life imbalance, uh, handing over all those problems, right? Because what the worst that you want to do is have people not delineating between when they're doing work and when they're doing family or when they're doing their time. Um, you know, sometimes, sure, there's going to be priority incidents and things like that that you have to address, but that's that's the exception, not the rule. So really setting up some sort of retro management of each day and handy, have them hand over the problems to me. Maybe it's my job to solve that for you later and you can just go and do what you need to do. I think the, the processes and the expectations are the real challenge. Uh, the technology falls into place. Thanks for Jim. Uh, Tim, go to you next. Yeah, yeah, this is a really tricky one. It's definitely, I think, taken a while to, to fully um, sort of realise. I feel more and more, though, um a sense of everything normalizing to the actual teams don't know what to do when they are all in the office because it's like how do we how do we put something up on a tv because now we all have all these collaborative tools like you know back in the day it was all whiteboard and sticky notes and now it's all like lucid or miro and and so now it's like how do we make that work we're all in the same room um so i i feel like in terms of uh, you know, planning sessions and designing sessions and retros. I feel like most teams have adapted to just finding tools that make a lot of those things easier to run than they were previously. Um, I still, it's, I think, I also wonder if there's going to be a generational shift here where the people who are coming up now, this is their normal. And so for people who've been in the industry longer, who are used to having it, you know, going and having lunch with someone or getting a coffee with someone, it's like, how do you replace those sorts of things? And, you know, me personally, I'm just sort of getting, even as recently, just in the last few months, just utilizing Slack huddles a lot more just to you know, replace what would have been uh, bumping into someone in the corridor and just making a major decision or discussion. And how do you, there is, you know, I go into the office usually once a week and it's amazing how many things get decided and worked out in that one day of just people I bump into. So it's like, how do I make sure I, have those things that that bump in um but equally there's things that just were not possible before because you know we also have a distributed team across australia now that you know we couldn't have had before so we can hire people who are not in that local market and i think in terms of other parts of culture which 
this the number of people who go and do um, kid pickups and things that just would not have been possible before. And so there's those sorts of shifts in culture that are, you know, very difficult to quantify and, and sort of not necessarily to work, but the fact that we have a culture where people will, it's not a problem if someone's like, oh, I can't meet at that time because that's school school run. And so there's 20 minutes where they're just not about, it's, it's fine. Um, you know, that's something that definitely was not possible, you know, possible five, five years ago. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tricky. I think it's something that, you know, you've got to stay in contact with your teams. You've got to have those one-on-ones become more important to just make sure that people aren't drifting away. Um, and they're supported. They're not asked for help. You know, the, the people aren't stuck on the same problem in silence for a long period of time. And I think that's something that you've got to be really conscious of to recognize the signs of, but yeah, it's it's different now. It's different in good and bad ways, but it's it's definitely different. Thanks, Tim. And Tom? Yeah, so like, so NIB was already distributed working pre-COVID, so we had bought a number of businesses, uh, so we were split across Melbourne, Sydney, and Newcastle. And so we already were on Zoom, had Miro, uh, had all those tools pre-COVID, and we were already working uh, sort of hybrid so we were doing three or four days a week in office and two days remote and so we were in five days it was like oh okay cool um but we already had things in place and things things like we always do stand up at 10 a.m it is just 15 minutes we had a we were 15 minutes with three people 15 minutes with 18 people um we just don't say as much uh, so uh um and and, and we do things uh, so every fortnight we do a games friday afternoon three o'clock wrap it up for the day we a myriad of games people have got steam servers and all that sort of stuff and you know each week we'll play a different type of game and that sort of stuff um so little little bits and pieces like that uh for Foku, uh we've got two offices now sydney and newcastle uh, and the Foku in newcastle will come in on a thursday so every thursday if you want you can come into the office and, and we have you know just a bit of lunch and that sort of stuff and just you know shoot the breeze a little bit but and then our other four days are where we get out where we get our work done so if you're in the office on the thursday it is a bit more of a um, those meetings, those face-to-face, uh, those, uh, you know, those decision-making sessions, I mean, that time, and the other four days, uh, yeah, we're on the tools, we're getting, we're getting stuff done, that sort of thing. And, and to the point of, like, uh, keeping up and that sort of stuff, I know at NIB, it's been liberating. Like, it has been meant that, like, you know, I've got uh, three, this year I'll have three new dads in my team and that sort of stuff. And they're just like, it's amazing. Like, you know, they can do the feed and that sort of thing, you know, and it means that they're can go back to work. You know, sooner and earlier and that sort of stuff because they're able to look after the kids and that sort of stuff and uh and, and you know they you know they clock off you know between three and four and then they're back online at like seven when they're asleep and they do another hour then and that sort of thing and so um you know that brings so much great culture because they get so much time with their kids and, and then sometimes like oh i've got to go into the office today like oh i just need a break from the kids and that sort of stuff and so there's that almost that sometimes that little bit of an out as well so you know it can cut both ways so i think that's um and we you know, have a very long, you know, we let basically people pick their own schedule of work. And I think that's, as long as, as my measure, it's always things, as long as you're delivering, I don't care how you get there. Like, if you want to work, I've got someone who works from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. in the morning. That's how I like to operate. It's crazy, but that's what they want to do. And they deliver their work and it's great. And so, um, and it's always output driven, not like, you know, punch card, nine to five, you must be there at your desk, you know, on the keyboard, that sort of stuff. It's very flexible. I think that really helps with that culture and, and that, you know, and I think sort of allowing people to work in that remote environment and trust as well. And, when you, and it's very easy to tell 
we've had situations where people have abused that trust and it's very easy like we'll pick it up from a mile away um and so i know i've spoken to people before like oh how do you manage people remotely it was like oh you just know you know when they're not delivering like you'll after a day i was like like yeah that person's just not happening that sort of stuff and you call them out and they go oh yeah it's like yeah and that's you go what's been going on you know family issues oh great take a few days off that sort of stuff and so um whereas previously obviously you wouldn't know because people were at their desk you know and so you look oh they're at work that's it case closed uh and so i think it's it's now more output accountable which is great so thanks tom uh cassandra do you want to add anything to finish this off that one yeah i love that it's so true it's about if you have the foundational elements of what we called that successful team culture earlier where you've got really um you can't over communicate you know having that transparency and having that foundation of trust then it kind of translates well to that remote environment but it amplifies that if any of those things are a little bit off it's um that opportunity to really design that culture intentionally so it's like like a reset not tweaking not going oh let's just convert everything that we did before onto like teams or whatever all day every day it's like no no chance to rethink and the fact that it can be bring that more human side to work i think really helps to have teams connect sometimes to your point dumb around the fact that you know people can focus on those outcomes not just the sitting at the desk and the fact that if someone would have needed to go and do pick up or something like that, the fact that they'd have to leave that workplace and then come back and the bias potentially in there, I think it potential for a really good level up, but um, yeah, it's the little things, the daily rituals that create that sense of a culture. This is the teaminess that, you know, kind of we're like looking for. Um, I think they talk about that. What is it? The onsite is the new offsite. So quarterly we try to come together to once again focus on what's that impact and alignment is like oh it's a big to do you almost make sure you have no meetings on that day because it's all about the connection and, and what you can do in, in real life um but yeah leveraging the other tools and stuff like like slack and things like that you can of course you're following up on the teams you've got instance whatever you need there but also like the most popular channel at my workplace i think is um dad jokes and my personal favorite is dogs of domain so if you ever need a little pick me up you just have a look it's like ah always a channel <laughs> for everything so yeah it's something that needs a really intentional um focus but such great opportunity i think it's a thing we don't think about as well but uh you know uh, maybe you could help with this cassandra but the commute in sydney can get pretty terrible uh, and some of my team obviously i've recruited over half of my current direct reports during the the pandemic um, uh, and so many of them live hours out of the city. Um, and do we really think that we never thought about it before? We just assumed it was fine. But do we think an hour commute each way is a valuable use of a, uh, you know, expert engineer's time? Uh, I, I don't think so. It is that adding to the team culture in any meaningful way. Um, it's a, it's an interesting, you know, sure you can work on your laptop on the train, but you won't, uh, maybe you listen to a podcast though. Uh, and that would be some benefit there. But I think that's really, um, to Tim's point before, we do have this new generation at the university, we're calling them, well, we're nicknaming them uh, digital ignorance. And it's not because they're ignorant of how technology works. It's because, unlike some of the people in this room, they don't have the intricate understanding of how the technology got to where it is. They don't remember a time when video calls were 
really difficult to do. They don't remember a time when instant chat was MSN Messenger and like made weird sounds <laughs> on your computer and stuff. Uh, they've just always had this technology and this capability. They're ignorant to the underpinnings of it because it is a service that works for them. Uh, and they sort of expect that when they come to the workforce. Thanks for that, Jim. A anything else to, to wrap us up? Awesome. I'll, I agree with all that at the end there. MSN Messengers took me back in time for a second, second there back in the day. Okay, um, what about ICQ? Oh, boy. <laughs> 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 um, we'll we'll uh, wrap up with the, the last question here, which is Jim's being. How do leaders balance two major aspects of their role, being retention and results within their teams, particularly in the face of every vendor and organization racing to automate? So maybe I'll get Jim to you to give us some context behind this. Sure. And it's um, it's super interesting uh, when when Dom gave his intro there uh, about, you know, how do you balance that, people getting access to a human. But I think, um, uh, and we've obviously done the same manager tools training at some point, Dom, where we have that results and retention approach uh, in our minds and keeping those O3s on. But results and retention are what you're trying to get. That's why you build the culture, right? You want to retain the good staff and you want to ensure that you deliver results for the organization. Um, and, it, and the culture is what balances that and keeps that in place. Uh, but obviously, as we move towards more automation and, you know, AI is the uh, the buzzword of all the executive across the, um, sometimes since November for some reason, can't work out why. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> as we sort of move forward, that can impact team culture and it can impact organizational culture because people are like, well, why am I working on these things? Am I going to be replaced? Are you going to get rid of me because uh, an automation and AI can do my job? And so how do you empower the team in a way uh, that allows them to do more or do better or, or deliver more or the organization deliver more at the same time as keeping people engaged in that team culture? Um, and I, I have thoughts on it, but I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts on it. Thanks, Tim. Tim, we'll get you first. Yeah, well, I mean, when I first heard the question, I, I guess I was racing more to think about how you balance um, results and retention without the, the automation piece, just in terms of, you know, how do you go about communicating what the goals of the company are, why are we asking you to do these things and making sure you always have a strong story to tell to, to back up why you're asking someone to do anything. So that's something... It's, it's hard to always nail that, but it is something I'm very cognizant of, of how to always, like any sort of change, announcement, how do you frame that in a narrative of why, where did it come from, where is it going, just to give that overarching overarching story. Um, in terms of the automation part of the question, I mean, we, we haven't really sort of hit upon that, I think, too dramatically yet. I think there's always elements... Uh, adjacent to where you are in engineering in terms of potentially automating something that would reduce manual effort of something else elsewhere in the organization. Um, but often that can be um, that can be something that is a benefit in terms of unlocking additional capability and capacity to do other things. Um, you know, the closest thing at the moment would be, you know, trying to improve testing automation. But I'm like that no one wants to be doing that manually and the, the people that it unlocks allows them to do more exploratory testing so i mean there's just that's just a, a, an incredibly simple one you know things that we might be trying to like in, in the wagering industry you know things that we're trying to automate are more looking at how to pick up potentially problem gamblers which we have people who are looking at that manually but obviously there's a huge societal benefit to to automating the detection of patterns and things like that 
and prompting uh, warnings and alerts to people to try and to try and help them. So, um, you know, I, I think overarching, it always comes down to well, what's the story, what's the narrative that goes along with this, and what is the opportunity that it provides. Thanks, Tim. Tom, I'll get you next. Um, yeah, so I think uh, so. I've been lucky enough to have touch well with uh, pretty good retention in our, in our in our team for the last four and a half years, and uh, and I think that's partly because we've uh, like we've got a pretty clear vision of what we're working towards. Everyone always understands why they're doing something. And, you know, there's never a question like, "Oh, why are we keeping on this piece of work? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, well, this is backwards. That sort of stuff." And so, I think from a retention perspective, um, that's been something that's been super helpful. Obviously, you know. You know, a year ago, salaries were insane and that sort of stuff. And so I had a few people going, oh, look at this, look at that, you know. And so um, I've been lucky enough to have support from my CIO down to go, yeah, 100%, let's let's meet you. Like, you're, you're adding value, let's meet that value and that sort of stuff. And and we've been been proactive with, around a lot of our team to uh, actually go, let's let's you know, realize your value again. And because it, it's a pretty simple equation, if I lose someone, it's going to take three months to, to fill it. And in that time, I've got to backfill it, waste my time, waste my team's time trying to fill that gap, right? And so you quantify that as a dollar and go, well, let's just pay that out, right? And sort it and move on. And, we, and if we get that person here for another two or three years, we've easily made that money back. Like it's, and, and so um, it's a pretty simple equation. It's a, a mathematical equation, which is easy. And everyone can understand outside sort of stuff and it just blows up, right? So from that perspective, you know, we've attacked it from a two, two different points. And from like an automation perspective, um, not someone that's slightly different position because obviously my team kind of is there to automate function and, and, and roles and that sort of stuff um but we're, like the stuff we've been automating it means like we're able to then do new opportunities new business lines like you know you know where we would you know, having to spend five or six people to do a function they now support the entire group and so we've had multiple businesses and now because we're automating more stuff they can just do more, they can support more and more growth right into the group and so we debate that's how we've been able to enter into the ndis space because we've automated a lot of our back of house stack and now i'll go oh, but it's more space let's go pick up some new business lines and diversify the group and that sort of stuff and so um you know at least for mib and that sort of stuff automation is seen as an opportunity and a way to unlock and sort of uh, basically grow our business as a whole and you know diversify our space you know, obviously it was always risky if you're just focusing in on private health insurance and you know the government of the day decides to just go well that's it we're going to go full you know social you know health Insurance, that sort of stuff. When you know, our business model just dries up overnight, right? So that's why we moved to travel insurance. That's why we moved to NDIS. So we've got you know, wages on multiple different things. So as a business, we can still be around. And so I think um, that's how this we position automation is how that's how we've actually realised it thus far. Is that it just means people are able to focus on new opportunities and do yeah you know, and new jobs. Right? You know, we didn't have machine learning engineers five years ago, right? We didn't have a lot of these roles and we're now out there hiring for all the rage you know even like sort of the data space i think has grown massively like you know the big value of data and, and you know you wouldn't you know used to data used to be sort of like this back of house sort of few folk who just be in you know in a server room going oh yeah i'll get this ship you know move it you know, many scale databases and now it's front and center snowflake you know look at snowflake valuation it's going through the roof and um you know so i think you know all that automation that value it, it just gives new space for these new roles and new positions there'll be new stuff that comes out in a couple of years time that we will not know we'll be hiring for these roles we don't even know exist yet and so i think that's just part of this transition like so yeah i think it's you just gotta balance it all out but i think um it's just around sharing that value and valuing people i think as well as the big one it's always valuing people um that's what it comes down to ultimately thanks tom uh, cassandra mm-hmm. when i was looking at this as well a similar thing in 
I think there's that looking at that retention results. But it, it could, I feel like we could almost replace the word if it's to automate, it could be to, to modernize, to simplify. I think within technology specifically, um, it's always evolving. So that ability to have that adaptability as an engineer is like really core to, I think, driving that um, culture. So um, I would almost approach it from looking at like, how do we keep people in that kind of growth zone where we have set up the right amount of support and level of challenge that people feel like they can truly be a part of that future that we're trying to move towards as a business because it's one thing to say hey we're looking to have this new capability personalization we use automation we're going to simplify we're going to reduce the different amounts of tooling and like really focus our efforts which like all makes sense but as an individual person do you really see yourself as being capable or being part of that do you see a pathway to get there and I think that is really key in terms of getting that retention because you, I've got some individuals who are really engaged in terms of driving the results for the business, for example, but it's definitely something to work through when you have to think, well, my primary skill set is in potentially a language that we are looking to not really invest in so much in the future. Oh, what does that mean for me? Are we really being backed up here? Am I kind of creating the end of my role but if they're actually in the mindset to say no i understand to your point before that's been raised by everyone what's the why why is the company looking to move that i want to contribute to that success i feel confident that i do have skills that are you know they are separate from just being that specific language or that specific function i can evolve and adapt so i think it comes back to that fundamental piece we were saying about having that trust and empowerment of people, they can bring their whole self to work. We can see that alignment to impact and goals and they do have a sense that they are growing and learning so they never get stuck in a point going, ooh, this future doesn't have me in it. And I think that that's a good way to look to balance things in that way. Thanks, Chandra. Jim, do you want to wrap us off with anything? You're, you're on mute, you're on mute. <laughs> Always happens. <laughs> I've been doing this for three years now online and still <laughs> at least once a day. Um, <laughs> I think like it was just beautiful the way Cassandra summed that up is it, uh, the problem that I see is in my direct reports even I have people that are pro-automation and people that are anti-automation uh, from the perspective of jobs reduction and churn, right? Uh, but as part of that performance planning and as part of that uh, review that you do constantly with your teams, you can make a pathway to... Uh, Low-value tasks lead to low morale as well, right? So uh, if people are doing low-value tasks and you can get rid of that low-value task and open it up to create value for the organization, that actually is, you, you have to go on that journey with them, I think. And then that's sort of something we're working through now. We're doing a lot of work in the generative AI space, obviously, um, as I sort of alluded to in the question. Uh, and there is real risk that uh, generative AI will make some roles have less value and less work to do. Um, and what we don't want to do is we don't want to make the people that are doing those roles do more low-value tasks in some other area um, just because. Uh, we want the value of the automation to be reflective in the time we give back them to do the high-value tasks. Uh, and I think uh, you really need to walk a balancing act of communicating that as well because uh, executive are all like, oh, this could save us so much money, this could save us so much time. Uh, but what it can really do is open up the organization, as per Dom's example, uh, to pursue other... So I, I just love the answers. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. 
Awesome. Well, look, thanks everyone for, for jumping on and thanks everyone for listening. I think there's some amazing thoughts on how everyone can improve culture in an ever-changing technology-driven environment we're all kind of a part of. Um, and yeah, look forward to seeing you all next time on the Evolution Exchange. Thank you.